Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Barely Forgish podcast. Today, we are finishing up covering 1984, and this will be the last episode on the book. Next week, we will be talking about the 1984 movie, the one that actually came out in 1984. I'm not sure if there's actually another one. I just know that we only covered the one that came out in 1984 because it seemed fitting, and it was also the only one I found. So I have a feeling there's not another one, but just in case it is the one that came out in 1984, I forgot every single actor's name, um, so... I can't tell you who's in it. I'll tell you before next week. I, th- I think there's only one that came out in 1984. So I, I, th- I feel like you'll be able to find it. I think I believe in you all. I'm sure you guys can find it. Um, in other exciting news, we are going to be releasing the very first episode on Patreon exclusively. Um, and it'll come out the first week of April. I'm going to be doing it on April 2nd, that Friday. So... It'll be on 1984, not, not, 1985, no, it'll be on 1995 versus 2005, uh, Pride and Prejudice, it's with Amanda Faye once again, so you will get to see more of her, it's gonna be a lot of fun, I think you all will really, really enjoy it, and I will be releasing monthly episodes for Patreon exclusively, so if you're interested in getting more content, um, please consider subscribing to the $10 and above tier. There's already bloopers, um, all my show notes, all those kinds of things are already on Patreon. And then this will just be something a little extra and it should be a lot of fun. Also, we have merch coming. It's coming. It's not quite here yet. It's not quite ready, but it should be announced. I'm hoping within the week. So Please make sure you follow me on Instagram and you will be the first to know about that when that happens. But that's all I've got for you guys now. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Barely Bookish podcast. We are continuing on with our read-through of 1984 by George Orwell, and we are going to be finishing up this book today. Um, I am once again joined by Nicole. Hey, everyone. And we're going to like get into this these chapters. We're going to finish up the book, uh, talk about the chaos that is this book, and our overall thoughts and all that good stuff. So... One really quick thing I just want to say is I want to throw out there, there are some trigger warnings for torture. Um, Anyone that has any issues with disassociation, uh, probably do not finish this book. Um, Yeah, I think that's it. If there's any other trigger warnings, I'll be sure to edit that in right here. But I just want to make sure that you take care of yourself first um, and you don't read or listen to these chapters and you join us in the next book because this is bad. It gets a little bad. Um, I don't really struggle with disassociation, but I could tell that if you do, these chapters will really get to you. Um, and we'll talk about that more later, but yeah. yeah. what do you think? Um, it's twisted. It is twisted, that's for sure. It's extremely twisted. And I, you know, I remember remember reading this book back in high school. And the more we get into it, the more I think, how did 
my high school allow us to read this? Yeah, I was thinking about the entire time I was reading these chapters. Like, I was not, we did not have any sort of classical literature or modern classic readings in high school. So the entire time I'm reading this, I'm like, how did high schools be like, yeah, this is the good literature like out of every book you could have picked in the entire world why would you be like okay yep this is the one this is what kids need to read because this book it says a whole lot of nothing in my opinion it's very dark it's very twisted and it's I guess it's an interesting idea but I wouldn't say that it's necessarily well written because like or appropriate yeah at least high school children yeah, I mean this book. The in the and you're right. It it it's kind of all over the place. Yeah, and there were a lot of sections and whole chapters that were just totally unnecessary. Yeah, and rambling and a really, lot. Yeah, it didn't really produce anything for the main picture. And it's just like it did not have a single well-written female at all like julia is such a flat character we don't know anything about her the only character we actually know something about is winston and even that he's so strange that it's hard to even understand him as a character but it's just everybody's like so flat no definitely and it's crazy that there's maybe only two or three women in this entire book that are discussed Mm-hmm. You know, like Miss Parsons, she was discussed early on, but very briefly, you know. Yeah. But Julia is like the only considered main character yeah. of this book, and she's the only woman. And she's still really not. She's still about really, yeah, she's still really developed. not talked about. She's just kind of there. Yeah. And it's just like when there's so much good literature out there, which passes first off, passes the Bechdel test. And second off, you know, is well written. If you still want the same type of vibe where it messes with your mind, you know, there's other books you could choose. So I don't know. I just don't really not in love with it. I, yeah, I don't know. I haven't put my, I think I'm going to probably put a three out of five on my Goodreads rating. <laughs> no, I think I could agree with that. Yeah, it's just it's not the best thing, it's not the worst thing I've ever read, but you know it's interesting. It's weird. It's I, interesting in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. It's it gives you a lot to think about, but it's also like okay, great. It gives you a lot of what the fuck moments. Yeah. I agree with that. <laughs> Alright, we'll get right into it. So part three, chapter one. Winston is uh, guessing he's in the Ministry of Love, but he's not really sure where he's at. Um, He's currently in a cell with a telescreen on each wall. He's really hungry, and he went to see if there were any crumbs in his pocket, and the telescreen started yelling at him to get his hand out of his pockets. And, like, if they're going to pat him down. Yes, exactly. I was thinking the same thing. I was just going to say that. If you're being put into a cell... Don't you check all everything? Yeah. So, like, why would you even worry if someone's putting their hands in their pockets? Because, like, what if your hands are cold? Or, like, for some people, that's a comfort position. Like, mm-hmm. if you're wearing a hoodie, you put your hands in your pockets out of comfort, not necessarily to get something out of your pockets. So it was weird to me that he got yelled at for putting his hands in his pockets when, you know, there's nothing going to be in there. Everyone knows there's nothing in there unless they didn't do a pat down. Yeah. 
which is weird. Yeah. Because at that point, why are you bothering throwing people in a cell without patting them down? Yeah. Ugh, it's weird. It's weird. Plus, it's like, it doesn't seem like they have weaponry at all. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know. Like, what is he going to grab? So, he's talking about how the regular prisoners go to labor camps and how there's favoritism, um, something called racketing. And then he says there is homosexuality and prostitution and alcohol. So I just need a brief pause. First of all, why was homosexuality and prostitution wrapped together? Second of all, you're telling me that only homosexuals are in, like, the um, labor camps? Like, it was just, it was a weird grouping of random things that they threw together, you know? Like, I don't know. It was just weird to me. I was like, okay, like, why? Yeah. And also, isn't there alcohol outside of the forced labor camps? Like, the normal people, like, the proles drink alcohol. Yeah. So, I was like, why is that brought up? I mean, that's basically all Winston drank in in normal days, is coffee and gin. Yeah. So, I'm like, okay. So, you're saying it's basically exactly the same way as the normal world that you're in. Because there's favoritism in your normal world. There is, hopefully, homosexuality in your normal world, like I would assume. And there's, we already know that we've established that there's prostitution and alcohol in the normal world. And, like, here's the thing. You're not allowed to actually get married for love. So, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so, while he's in the holding cell, he's literally not worried about Julia or what's happening to her. And he's still trying to pretend like he loves her. But that's, that's another thing, I guess. Uh, they bring another prisoner into the cell, and it's a poet named Ampleforth, which they acted like we had heard of this person before, but I don't remember him being talked about at all. I don't remember remember it either. Yeah. Unless like, it was very, like, again, there's so many weird, there's so many things being thrown at you in this book, so many unimportant things. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, make see, at this point, it makes me want to go back and see if he was mentioned. Yeah. I don't but remember it's, him being I mentioned at all. No, I don't remember him being mentioned at all. Yeah, but they were like, oh, you know, Ambleforth, the poet. And I'm like, first of all, who names her? Like, Ampleforth is not a name for the 50s. Ampleforth is a medieval warrior, and you cannot convince me otherwise. So, I don't know. That was weird in, it, in and of itself. So, Ampleforth is in jail for allowing God to remain at the end of a poem. Because they've eliminated religion. And I'm just like, wow, they'll literally throw anybody in jail. But we already knew that. But, you know. Ampleforth was escorted out of the room one to Sorry. Ampleforth was escorted to room 101 by the guards and Winston remains in the cell by himself. Which, now that we know what room 101 is, what were they going to question him about? They already know that he talked about God because he couldn't find another rhyme. So, I don't know. So, Parsons is also here now. but And he's the guy with the kids that are spies. So, Parsons just said, down with Big Brother in his sleep. My question is, is because his kid reported it, I wonder if he didn't actually say that. If the kid just made it up to turn I someone in. It's so weird. 
And by the way, I just did a a search, mm-hmm. and Ampleforth was mentioned fifteen percent of the way into the book. I don't remember it. I really don't. Was it just like mentioned in passing? And a few cubicles away, a mild, ineffectual, dreamy culture creature named Ampleforth with very hairy ears and a surprising talent for juggling with rhymes and meters. Oh, of course I wouldn't remember him. He was just random He was man. just a random man in a cubicle. Interesting. They're really just throwing out all the characters that they previously mentioned here. Yep, but there you go. There's your ample fourth. I was curious. <laughs> I, was curious. I really don't think Parsons mentioned anything about being down with Big Brother. Like, I have some serious doubts. I think his kid just turned him in. Yeah. For funsies. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, Parsons says that his daughter was the one who turned him into um, the party. Like, listened at the keyhole, which, is that even a thing? Because, like, you can't hear through a keyhole. I don't know. How big are these keyholes back then? <laughs> yeah, also, like... Was he screaming down with the big brother? Because usually when you're sleep talking, you like mumble it. Mm-hmm. I think this entire thing's made up. Because otherwise the telescreen would have caught it. I think his daughter just didn't want him around anymore. I'm guessing that too. <laughs> so Parsons went to pee and Winston covered his eyes. And then the telescreen yelled at him not to cover his eyes. For what? Why? Literally, like, for what? Because it's not like, you know, having your eyes covered is going to actually do anything to mm-hmm. endanger yourself or anyone around you. I really don't understand. And the toilet can't flush. So now the cell just smells like pee. <laughs> like, that was an unnecessary thing to happen. But, you know, <laughs> let it happen, I guess. So Parsons was brought out and more prisoners came and went in the cells. One of the men in the cells is dying of starvation as well, because that's something Big Brother likes to do for who knows what reason. And uh, one man tried to give the starving man a piece of bread and the telescreen screamed at him. And while I'm re-talking about this, like we know that the entire time... Winston is there. He's alone. Like, there's no mention of him, except for this moment when he's with people, being with people again. Mm-hmm. So why did they put the starving man back in this holding cell with everyone? Like, that yeah. seems strange to me. But a guard then comes in and decks the guy who tried to be nice in the mouth, and he's, like, bleeding out of his mouth. And then the starving man was brought out and is being sent to room 101, which at that point I was trying to gather was the interrogation room. Mm-hmm. And that entire situation I am just confused by because I don't know why they'd bring him in there. I don't know why they, like, I know why they decked the guy who was trying to be nice, but I still am just, like, not in love with it, to be honest. So then Winston's alone again. Um, This time they open the door and O'Brien comes in. And um, I think they break his arm as soon as O'Brien walks in. I think that's what happened. Like they said something about him being disabled and now his arm hurts. And I was like, did they just break your arm or what? 
It's weird. It's like it might fall anywhere on the yeah. crown, on the tip of the ear, on the upper arm, on the elbow. The elbow. He had slumped to his knees, almost paralyzed. So I'm guessing they broke his arm. They whacked him good. Yeah. Or just severely injured it, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I think you're right. They they severely injured him in some way. Yeah. Well, anyways, so we're going to chapter two. So chapter two starts and it looks like O'Brien actually works for the inner party still. And this is like the point where I'm starting to wonder if the Brotherhood was invented by the um, inner party. Mm -hmm. Because like, we'll get to it in a little bit, but... I don't know. Some details start falling into place and I'm like, ooh, is that what's actually happening here? So Winston is getting the first routine, first round of routine interrogations. Um, he's being like absolutely beaten to a pulp and in his own terms, destroyed. Um, he's actually getting food now, which is a plus because he had been sitting there hungry for like 36 hours, he's guessing. Um, when everyone was in the cells with him, he was just like not being fed. So he finally gets food, which is pretty cool. Uh, so they start questioning him and trying to trip him up and catch him in lies. Mm -hmm. And oof, like they just, when they're questioning him, I, this is the part where they kind of start to like, if you have issues with disassociation, like this is the part that it starts to get really bad. Um, but yeah, very twisty. Yeah. Um, Winston is essentially confessing to every known crime, uh, it's man and trying to get out of the beatings and he is now going to go to room one Oh one. So Winston thinks O'Brien is going to do something to him. And O'Brien says that Winston has a defective memory that he's remembering things that never even happened. So O'Brien says that it's a hallucination and the party is law essentially. Like they start asking him if um they were ever at war with somebody besides I think it's Eurasia or East Asia. East Asia. East Asia. And he goes, Well, we've been at war with East Asia for four years, and then before that we were at war with East Eurasia for eight years. And you know, it goes, No, we've always been at war with East Asia. So they're trying to rewrite him to believe everything the party says. Mm -hmm. And yeah, O'Brien says that the party controls all records and all memories. In turn, they control the past. Which this thought terrifies me yeah. to my core. Because just the idea that once you start controlling what's written in history textbooks, that you control all of history. Like I talked about this a little bit in my Fahrenheit 451 recording, I believe, but there was that, um, what was it? A couple of years ago, not, there was this um, state that was trying to get rid of talking about like slavery and history books. Mm -hmm. And it's like thinking about that, there could be an entire generation that doesn't know that existed. Yeah. And it's terrifying because then you really do control history. You control the narrative of the world just by not teaching kids about it. Mm -hmm. 
And it's, it's like, um, was it, I think it was Thomas Jefferson where he raped a bunch of his slaves so that a lot of people are descended from him. I think it's Thomas Jefferson. I'll have to double check that, but it's, we don't get to learn that in school. Mm-hmm. You have to learn that as an adult outside of school and learn about all the terrible things the founding fathers did and like how Columbus spread plague essentially when he colonized because it made all of the native people sick. Um, it's just, it's wild that because we aren't taught that in school, we have to find it out ourselves, but like that could be just deleted and we would never know like the suffering of people before yeah. us. It's just this part makes me think about all the things that like we very easily could not know mm-hmm. right now because they just were never told or spoken to except for the people alive in that generation. It's definitely, like you said, a terrifying concept. To think Absolutely. Absolutely. So... O'Brien mentions Woodson's diary to him, so he's apparently found that now because he didn't show the diary to to um, O'Brien when he went to become a member of the Brotherhood, did he? I don't think so. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't think he did. But he starts talking about the diary and um says like how he talked about that two plus two equals four and that's the freedom to think that and it's really weird because um winston starts realizing that they could have read it the entire time because they're smart enough to put the dust fleck back on Mm -hmm. and it's just crazy to me that he probably was being watched the entire time like, yeah. it's not just this last thing that tipped him over the edge of him becoming... Because there's a reason that O'Brien reached out to him to become, quote, a member of the Brotherhood because he thought he already was there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why would the telescreen not be able to see that one spot, spot in his apartment? It w- Like, the whole point of the telescreens is being able to see everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the more we got into these parts, the more I kind of thought about... The fact that uh, they probably were watching him the entire time. And it was just crazy to think about. Yeah, I, I think it's I think you're accurate in that. I think he's been basically watched the entire time. Yeah, me too. That's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. So O'Brien's trying to convince him to say that what the party wants people to think by shocking him with like electrocution. So Winston uh, thinks that O'Brien must be trapped as well and that he's also a prisoner. But to be honest, Winston's going crazy right now. <laughs> just just a little. Just a little bit crazy. Just uh-huh. a little bit crazy. Yeah. He's just like, at this point, he's starting to like hallucinate for real. And he just can't distinguish between like the lines of reality. And it's not a good look for our friend Winston. Yeah. O'Brien says that they brought Winston to the Ministry of Love to cure him and to make him sane, quote, unquote. O'Brien says that the party has made it so that they are no longer, uh, every time I try and say this word, I say it wrong. Martyr, Mar, Mar, M-A-T-R-Y-S. Martyrs. Martyrs. 
Every time I really have to think about it because it's spelled <laughs> so strangely. Um, but Orion says that the party has made it so they that they're no longer martyrs because they erase people from history. It's like just talking about it, like it's such a dictatorship. Yeah, and no. It's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. Winston is wondering what all the torture is for if they're just intending to kill him. But O'Brien says that the party is not content with negative obedience. They want you to believe that, uh, believe them with their heart, with your heart and soul. They attached two nodes to the side of Winston's head. And now they're doing some new kind of torture, which I don't even really know what it was, but it sounded like they were like brainwashing him. Mm-hmm. But I was like, it was starting to verge on the level of sci-fi because they were just like, they went from electrocution to now brainwashing, mm-hmm. which I was just like, where? What are we doing? What's happening now? What is going on? Basically, I was like, I am confusion. Confusion. Um, O'Brien says that Winston can ask him any question he would like. So Winston asks, "What happened to Julia?" O'Brien says that she betrayed Winston immediately and had has had a perfect conversion. Ha! Interesting. Yeah. So Winston asks if Brave Brother exists, which we don't really get an answer. Um, he says that, like, Big Brother exists. Yes, it exists, obviously exists, but it's... He doesn't say that it's a person, and then he says that Winston doesn't exist. So, I don't know. Uh, Then he asks if the Brotherhood exists, to which O'Brien says that um, he will never know. Winston then asks what's in room 101, which O'Brien says that he already knows what's in room 101. It's so chaotic. It is so chaotic. No, it definitely is chaotic. Yeah. It's a lot. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah absolutely it's definitely a lot so chapter three winston has entered into the second state of conversion which is understanding and like when they said the second stage of conversion my brain just was like is like i have always imagined conversion therapy mm-hmm. for when um like gay teens get sent to conversion therapy i always yeah. imagined it as torture and like i know that it's not i know it's terrible i know it's terrible i absolutely know that it's terrible but it's like this is what i imagine conversion therapy to be personally yeah. so it's like reading this i was like <laughs> so winston has entered into the second stage of conversion which is understanding O'Brien says that he helped uh, write Goldstein's book, which leads me to believe that the Brotherhood was created by the party. Like, that is the point where I was like, okay, like, I know it's a possibility that maybe they just made the book for Goldstein um, to send to give to people who are possibly going to betray the party. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really don't know as if, as like a figment, if the brotherhood is fake. Yeah. Like, I'm really not sure. So I don't know. So O'Brien says that the party is forever. There's no way for it to be overthrown. And that's where they, where he must begin his thoughts. It's so bad. It's so bad. (laughs) 
It just makes me uncomfy. O'Brien says that the party seeks power for its own sake and they're not interested in the good of others. Which, if that doesn't sound like a dictatorship, I don't know what will. Mm-hmm. Then O'Brien literally admits that the German Nazis and the Russian communists come close to the party, but they didn't have, quote, the courage, unquote, to recognize their own motives. Which, I guess we're supposed to be in... Um, taking that the motives of the party are power, but it's still not very clear what the motives of the party are because if you wanted power, enslaving your entire populace to believe that your history is the true history and constantly changing it, I still don't understand the motivation for that. Like, it doesn't make any sense. You control all these people, but for what? Like, what's your end goal? And it's never stated or clear like, as to what their goal or why they did this. I don't get it. I don't think they have a goal. <laughs> I don't either, but he's like, well, they didn't understand what motivates them. What motivates you? You didn't explain that at all. So, I don't know. It seems yeah. like there should have possibly been, like, a little novella to accompany this to explain things to me, but there wasn't, and now I'm sad. <laughs> So O'Brien seems to keep reading Winston's mind, which was really, really weird. Like every time Winston had a thought, O'Brien was like, I know you're thinking this right now. And I'm like, buddy, how? Like how? You did not explain at all how you seem to be able to read all everyone's minds. Like this, at this point, they were like going into the line of being more sci-fi-esque mm-hmm. than just fiction. And I was starting to get a little uncomfy because I was like, you need to draw the line. Is this sci-fi? Is this just fiction? What, you know? what is it? Yeah. Because it's like he's just basically reading Winston's mind mm-hmm. for for what? I don't know. And You can like strike up the argument that maybe it's like he's tortured so many people that he knows kind of what people are thinking. But even so, it was down to like the exact thought he was having. So I don't know. Yeah. Okay, then O'Brien says that he can levitate off the floor, but the party does not wish it, so therefore he will not. Because the party completely controls reality. Wait. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, okay. No. What? Like, you're t- there's so many things you can speak into existence. But I guess that he's going off of the fact that they would write that he levitated off the floor and say that he levitated off the floor and everyone would believe it, but it didn't actually happen. But it's like him trying to cause our, like, Winston to completely disassociate here is starting to get a little under my skin. Like, I was getting very uncomfortable at this point in the book. Mm -hmm. Because it's just like he's speaking into existence all these contradictions and saying that they are fact. And yeah. it's, it gets to this point where it's like, what is reality? What is fact? Because, you know, for us, whatever we see is real, but then, you know, obviously you can get to this point where it's like, well, are you sure that that's real? How do you prove that it's real? And you're like, well, I'm seeing it. So it is real, but it's, your sight is not a basis for evaluation of reality. And it's that made me very uncomfortable because it's 
it made me think like, how could I prove that something's real to something who cannot physically see it, hear it, taste it, smell it, use any of their senses to understand that it was physically there. Yeah. That made me uncomfy. I did not like it at all. No, I, I get not, that. Yeah. I could not think of anything to prove that something is grounded in reality. Yeah, no, I can get that. Um, O'Brien says that humans always ruled the world, and the 19th century archaeologists made up mammoths. Because he says to Winston, he's like, have you ever seen a mammoth? And Winston's like, no, not physically. And he goes, because they ma- they're made up. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, what? And like... There's this whole thing with Photoshop where people say that a lot of images are doctored and how, you know, with um, supermodels and things like that are, that's not what they actually look like because a lot of their images on social media are Photoshop. So it's like, I felt like that conversation was this conversation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where I was like, what? You can't trust something unless you physically see it yourself. And I was like, I don't don't put me here. I don't want to be here. I'm uncomfortable and I do not like the energy we created in the studio today. Mm-hmm. So O'Brien is uh, really hammering in the idea of your mind controlling the world around you. And he says that in the future, there will be no husbands or wives. Well, he says there will be no wives, but I added in the husband part because of quality and no friends and children's will be taken from their mothers at birth and procreation will be an annual formality like food stamps or ration stamps ration wait so they're just gonna ration off yes no exactly what you're thinking i think they're gonna do like ibf yearly for women which if that's not the most handmaid's having never read the handmaid's tale a quick uh, little from what I understand of The Handmaid's Tale, isn't that not the plot? Have you not seen the series? I have not seen the series. I have not read the book. Oh, my gosh. Is that the plot? Have you seen the series? Oh, I, I keep up with that series. Okay. <laughs> Is that the plot? That's my understanding of the plot. It's basically... No, I wouldn't say that they... Have, it's a certain time of the year. It's just every month. A what? It's like every month. How do you have a baby every month? Not every month, but in the hand. Okay, so in the Handmaid's Tale, um, from what I gather from the series, mm-hmm. every month during a certain time, the men will screw the handmaid with mm. their wife there. Uh, why? Basically, like holding. It, it's very weird. Yeah. So, anywho, um, and then if they get pregnant, then. The handmaid's pregnant and things cease. But every month until the handmaid is pregnant, at a certain time, they... For everyone that can't get, you know, obviously doesn't have the visuals. I'm making a face of disgust right now. Just... Yeah. So it's... I'm trying to, like, give you enough detail without giving it away. Because now you really need to read the book. Yeah. That's the series. Uh, Um, (laughs) But, yeah. But, I mean, it's... It's not like this, where what he's proposing. Because what he's proposing is literally, once a year, you basically get injected with a freaking sperm. You know? Well, he doesn't say that either. He does not say IVF. I'm hoping IVF. But, but if, I, if, well, you're, if you're taking away wives, yeah, you know, 
and you're saying you're basically presenting a time of procreation Mm -hmm. it's basically i i I, it it basically is i'm like is it whether it's the man doing it or a doctor doing it it basically is yeah because you're doing it at a certain time and that's it's i guess you can say that's kind of like the hands made except what 1984 is saying it's almost like once a a, you know yeah once yearly yeah where this where in the other uh, where the hands made tale it's more like once monthly and if it happens it happens oh winston says that somehow the party will be defeated and o'brien is like that's never gonna happen the party is forever um yeah spewing the same nonsense but nothing is forever if the history has taught us anything civilization civilizations crumble new ones are built like with human beings things are constantly changing that's kind of the good part about us Mm -hmm. being humans so i don't know um o'brien says that tells winston to get naked and look in the mirror so at this point, Winston is incredibly thin. He does not recognize himself at all. Well, yeah. Yeah. He's, they, they've been like starving him. You starve him and you're torturing him. Of course yeah. he's going to look different. He's, his hair is falling out in clumps. His like bicep, um, O'Brien's around able to reach around with his fingers and have them meet on the other, each end. And... His teeth are falling out. He's only got 11 teeth left. Oh! Yeah. So O'Brien tells Winston that he has lost 25 kilograms of bot- like of weight since they've had him. And we still don't know how long they've had him. I think we're assuming like a couple months at this point. That's what I'm assuming. It has to be if you lose that much. Yeah. Like, I know starvation kicks in pretty quickly. I feel like for him to still be alive and having lost that much weight. They have to be nourishing him somehow. Yeah. Or else he'd be dead dead. Yeah. They have to give him at least, like, some sort of, like, IV nutrients or something. Mm -hmm. O'Brien says to get a good look in the mirror because he is the last man. Everybody is party. No one is man. And now Winston is crying in a heap on a stool. And Winston says that he hasn't betrayed Julia yet because he hasn't stopped loving her. And I'm like, buddy, you didn't even love her. You did not even love her. Like, he keeps, like, saying, he's like, oh, I love Julia so much. Like, you have no real connection. Mm-hmm. Like, emotional. When he first got locked up, he, he was questioning whether he loved her. Well, he said that he, like knows he loves her but he doesn't think about her or worry about her i'm like then that's not love but not love it's 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 uh, he's physically attracted to her and he confuses that with love continuously what would you classify that as lust yeah yeah probably because that's the only thing that makes sense he doesn't have any actual care or emotional he's just lustful for her yeah exactly it's terrible all right, so chapter four, they finally bathe Winston and gave him new clothes, and they also pull out the rest of his teeth and give him dentures. 
Which, if they're not going to brush his teeth, like, if he doesn't get any way to clean or brush his teeth, why even give him the dentures? I do not understand. There's no point. Like, who's he trying to impress while he's in prison? Unless, unless, because, I mean, if they give him dentures, maybe they're preparing to set him free. I mean, I guess if that I, that could make if sense. If that's the case, they're, they're getting ready to set him free, so they're preparing him. Or maybe he's passed the test the test yeah (laughs) the torture past the torture and able to be kind of re moved into civilization yeah maybe it's just it to me it didn't make a lot of sense for him to for them to pull off the rest of his teeth and then give him dentures when they're in the entire reason that he uh his teeth rotted out of his head well at least with dentures they won't rot anymore i guess i guess that's maybe why they could Rinse off the dentures. I don't know. So Winston's gained weight and they're feeding him and he's actually exercising now in his little cell. And Winston says that he cannot fight against the party anymore. And he's like sitting there retraining his brain to believe everything the party says. So he hallucinates Julia and then yells for her out loud in his cell with the telescreens right there. And he completely breaks his cover. And they take Winston to room 101 so that he will learn to love a big brother. So chapter five. In room the in room 101, it's supposed to be the worst thing in the world, which varies from person to person. Which I don't even know how they figure out what the worst thing in the world is for each individual person. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if they're all being watched... That's true, I, I guess. I guess you kind of learn what their fears, fears are. Like if somebody jumps from a spider being in the corner of their home. Yeah. You know, but, you know that person's afraid of spiders. Yeah. And then apparently the worst thing in the world to Winston is rats. Which I don't know well, if he's actually afraid of them. or. Well, he freaked out in when he was in that the secret bedroom. Mm. Remember there was a rat and he freaked out and Julia was just like, it's just a rat. Yeah. Oh, you remember that? I kind of do now that you mentioned it, yeah. Yeah, like, he freaked out over the rat, and she was just like, it's just a rat, you know. Yeah, and they were watching the secret bedroom, so. Yes. So they did watch, and they were watching the secret bedroom. So, there you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So, the rat is apparently going to eat Winston's face, and they have this whole contraption with two cages and then a mask to go around his face. And they are about to release it. And Winston tells them to do it to Julia instead of him. And that's the moment he betrays Julia. And then the cage door of the rats click close and does not open. As soon as he tells them to do it to Julia instead. And I'm like, oof, 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 oof. So chapter six, Winston is now sitting in a restaurant. He has been newly released, and he apparently goes to this restaurant called the Chestnut Tree every day for some reason. And no one is with him. They always reserve a table for him, and they give they gave him a higher paying job now. Julia and Winston have seen each other, but have no interest in a continued relationship because they've been completely brainwashed. 
And then Julia now looks at him with contempt and dislike. Which, poor Julia. Like, poor Julia. She is like 20 years old and now has had her entire life absolutely wrecked. She went from totally loving him Mm -hmm. to totally hating him. Absolutely. So no one on the telescreen talks to him. Like, I do not understand this whole dynamic of them uh, releasing people because it's like now they're not even contributing members of society mm-hmm. because everybody else that was released um, in like, cause all the other people that were released from these prisons are the people he works with and they just don't really do anything at all. And, like, their life isn't being controlled or watched. They're just, like, mindless zombies mm-hmm. existing in the society. So I don't even understand what the point is. They've been converted. Yeah. Um, Winston has a flashback to childhood where he is, like, shaking a dice box. And then he pushes it out of his mind because it's, quote, a false memory, unquote, and the party has a victory against East Asia, which everyone is very excited about. And then the book ends with Winston saying he loves Big Brother. But did you know two plus two equals five? I know. I'm <laughs> so mad. I'm so mad because it's like we go through this entire book thinking that Winston's going to do something great, rebel. And like, for what? The book ends and he is just like straight chilling mm-hmm. for no reason and like loving Big Brother again. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely it's definitely a twist. Like as you're reading, you think something big is gonna happen, you know, down with Big Brother, and it turns out to be oh hail Big Brother. Yeah. Yeah, I don't understand. I just what was the point of this book? Because it basically just told us that, like, if you're in a dictatorship, just enjoy life, I guess, because there's no reason to rebel. Yeah, you're just stuck. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I'm not saying we always need a happy ending, but like having him actually contribute to the world or something mm-hmm. would have been great because he did not contribute to the world at all. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. Yeah. So overall impressions, what do you think? Um, I don't know how my high school got away with letting us read this. Um, <laughs> yeah. If I didn't think it was dark and twisty then, I was a very twisted child um, because it is pretty dark and twisty. I talked to someone else about this book and they said that their school, high school also had them read it, but that they didn't discuss any sort of feminism along with it and i think that when i read books like this i i end up ultimately reading them from such a modern lens no matter what that you know i can't help but kind of put my feminist opinions out onto this book but it's weird to me that they don't have those types of discussions while reading this book because i feel like this book brings up a lot to discuss and especially it leaves a lot to be desired no I definitely agree um but maybe they just think that it's too much for them yeah but I don't I mean I feel like you can't read this book without having 
real discussions with your students. And if you're not prepared to that for that, maybe don't discuss this book because this is not a happy-go-lucky kind of story. And if that's what you're expecting, or if you want something that's not going to bring up a lot of hard conversations, read, I something don't know, else. something else. Like, there's a reason people read Romeo and Juliet. Even though it's a tragedy, it doesn't bring up a lot of hard discussions. You know, this does. It brings up a lot of difficult topics. And... That's something that, as a teacher, you should be prepared to discuss with your students. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. And I definitely, I, I don't remember thoroughly discussing this book mm -hmm. with in depth like that. Um, it was more of like she had to spill out things on paper. Mm. you know and then once we finished the book then we played the game the game yes oh game. yeah you you had to bring this up did you ever learn more about it i forgot we talked about uh, i didn't but i as i read through the book i kind of like remembered how we kind of played it so so there we she gave us all like note cards and mm -hmm. with pins on them and we had to pin them to our shirts upside down and there were thought police somebody was big brother which it ended up being her and then there were the thought criminals so um basically thought criminals everybody wore these on here and then if you were a thought police you were allowed to go up to uh, you were allowed to go to another person and if if you Basically, and you basically had to like watch people almost. You had to watch your classmates to see what they were doing, to see who they were talking to, you know. So you would start out, and if you asked somebody to basically, you'd go up to them and say, You're a thought criminal, and let me see your card. So if they showed their card and they were a thought criminal, then they would steal their card, and that person would be taken to the Ministry of Love. Mm. Okay, if you are a thought criminal, talking with a thought criminal, you know, you were safe. And then basically at the end of, like, the two weeks, whoever had, like, the most thought criminals as a thought police basically mm -hmm. won. Now, if you were a thought police with asking another thought police, I think you were safe. But there, but it, it was a very weird kind of weird Sounds kind of cool no it was definitely cool and i think there was a way where if you got caught by big brother even if you were a thought criminal or a thought police you could also lose your card hmm. but it was kind of a way of us like really paying attention attention and focusing on our classmates who they were talking to what they were doing you know yeah it was it was very interesting and not and it was not only just our period mm -hmm. you know because you had the seven periods in a day in high school yeah, it was not just ours. It was all the periods who read the book. Mm -hmm. So there were also people playing who were not actually in your class, but part of her. Teaching. So you could steal their cards. So you could steal their cards. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it was it was very interesting to how it how it was orchestrated and pretty cool. That's cool. But it's like a weird take on the story. 
You know what I mean? It is like, a weird take on the story. I don't know. It's kind of weird to me to think like, is that the thing you get out? Like you gathered out of it? Like that? Like there's a lot in this book that we could talk about, you know? And it's like, it's cool that there is an activity, but to me, it's like, that's not really the point of this story. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's no, kinda... I think I think it was also her trying to take something dark and twisty and something very weird, mm-hmm. and, and maybe make light of it. Make light of it. it. I can get that. It, it was just it was very interesting. Yeah, weird. I don't know. This book just was so weird. It's so weird. No, I agree. Definitely. And like, I I definitely don't think it should be a banned book by any means. But it's just weird that this is commonplace for people to read in high school mm-hmm. to me. Like, I never read it, obviously, but, like, it's weird to me that this is something that's a staple. Mm-hmm. And, like, I've kind of heard the same thing because I haven't read it To Kill a Mockingbird. I know absolutely nothing about it, so no spoilers. Mm-hmm. But it's weird. I've heard that that's a similar vibe that people get. It's that it's strange that that's a high school allowed book yeah no it was definitely a strange high school allowed book yeah at least for 1984 yeah well any final thoughts about 1984 before we wrap up this episode if you can handle it read it yeah if you have any sort of issues with rape torture disassociation any of that probably don't read it but anybody else that wants to read it yeah i it's it's an interesting book if you can handle handle the boring moments too yeah that too it's like i heard that about uh tolkien's writing where it's like if you just cut out him describing trees for 20 pages it's a good book <laughs> this tree is green yeah literally. this tree has rough bark <laughs> all right well thank you so much nicole for joining me on this episode where can all the people of the internet find you I can be found at at Scarlet Rose FL. That is Scarlet with two T's. And that is on Twitch, Instagram, Facebook, Discord. Uh, I might be missing one, but just Twitter. There we go. There we go. <laughs> there we'll we get go. there. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And I will catch you all in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Thank you all so much for joining me on this episode of the Bailey Bookish Podcast. As I kind of mentioned in the intro, we will be having those Patreon-exclusive episodes. They'll come out every month. Um, I'm planning on doing it about, like, the first Friday of every month is kind of the goal right now, but we'll see how that changes. Maybe it'll just be, like, the first week of the month. Um, I don't know. We're, we're, it's, it's a work in progress. Um, I'd also like to hear what you guys think, what day works best for you. If you want them to come out on the Wednesdays, like the episodes do, um, it's kind of up to you guys. It's the Patreon. My hope for it is that it's kind of just a community for anyone who wants to hang out and chat and get some of that exclusive content. But also I want everyone to have a lot of say in the Patreon and let me know what you guys want to see more. Um, yeah so it's kind of up to whatever everybody wants to do and 
like right now I'll just plan on doing the first one that Friday. And then if that works out for everyone, we'll keep doing that. Otherwise we can shift it and change it up. It doesn't really matter because I record really far in advance. So any day kind of works. Anyways, you guys don't need to know that. It's fine. Um, All fun things. So other in other news, we also are doing Lore um, by Alexandra Brocken. Brocken? I don't know. Sorry. Um, we're doing Lore for the Verily Book Club. So if you want to join us for that, the first reading is going to be due on Sunday. So we talk on Sunday. But if you don't have enough time, you can also join us for the second reading. Um, and yeah, it's kind of open. It's a lot of fun. There's some really great people in there and you'll probably make a lot of friends. And yeah, I think you guys will like it. We also are doing streams on Twitch still. They're a lot of fun. They're a good time. If you like Legend of Zelda, if you like Stardew Valley, still don't know why everyone wants to marry Shane. Shane kind of seems mean and I, I don't know why. Like I keep trying to give him like candies and like food and things that I hold near and dear to my heart to make him be nice to me. And it hasn't worked yet. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, those are options. Come hang out on Twitch. It's at Barely Bookish as everything else is. But that's all I've got. Thank you guys for hanging out with me. Thank you for listening to these episodes. Um, If you really like the episodes, please consider leaving a review and sharing them with your friends. It's really helpful and I would really appreciate it a lot. As always, our logo was designed by my little sister, Sarah. Our theme song is by Raphael Crux on freepv.com. And I will catch you all in the next one for the 1984 movie. Bye!